Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Hollis Carter here with me from Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to my podcast, Hollis. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so as a way of a uh, short intro, uh, Hollis Carter was uh, born with the entrepreneur bug, starting his first business before he could even drive. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur from the digital space with an incredible background in internet marketing, in sales and strategy, all with this modern day philosopher's outlook on life and zest for living. And now he spends most of his time growing the Community Baby Bathwater Institute, which he co-founded with Michael Lovich. Uh, so, uh, Hollis, I was reading up on Baby Bathwater Institute to understand a bit more who it's for and what it's actually for. And I found um, this description of what uh, Baby Bathwater Experience is about in, on your website. And it says, like, friends for life, solutions to business problems, perspective, new skills, and a network of entrepreneurs you can trust and enjoy being around. And some folks have said we are the cure for the entrepreneurial loneliness plague. Do you think that that description is still valid? Yes and no. I would say two of our biggest struggles me and Michael have had is like trying to put something that shouldn't be put into words into words, but it's like necessary to speed up our process. We've never wanted to write a mission statement or an about us or any of that, because honestly, it's way more organic than that. You know, we haven't done a ton of marketing. It's mostly been just word of mouth, but we didn't really have the intention of it turning into this. It was supposed to just be a little gathering of our other entrepreneur friends so that we could bounce ideas off each other and support each other and, you know, hang out and, and get drinks and talk about this life. And then it just sort of snowballed. And then we found it being very difficult to have long-winded personalized conversations constantly with referrals. We had to put a website up and do stuff. So I think one of the reasons it's kind of worked so well, but also we've been resistant to doing any really formal marketing is the organic kind of nature of it. So that's like, you know, we had to put out a website because we started getting more articles and, and things and I didn't want people to make up their own conclusions, but I can tell you it's probably the hardest part is to try to write down a few sentences about something because I think it's a little different for everybody. But what is it that you and uh, and then Michael anyway had as a, let's say, a little dream about what would you like this to become or just grow as is, as you say, organically? And that's nothing wrong with that. Of course, that's perfect if it's, you know, the right people are getting on board. Or is there something else that you really want with this? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, this isn't the normal entrepreneur hero story where you hear about this crazy moonshot vision thing. It's almost the exact opposite. I'd say Michael and I were basically, we were just conference buddies. We had separate companies for a decade, but went to lots and lots of conferences together because we both actually saw the value the same way, which was having one-on-one -on -one conversations with other people, no matter what industry, who are attempting to do similar things. They're juggling lots of balls and wearing lots of hats and figuring things out as they go, kind of living that grow and scale entrepreneur where you're not just figuring it out for the first time, but you're also not running a well-oiled corporation. We just loved those conversations and 
we both found ourselves probably going to more conferences than you could ever imagine in those 10 years before, you know, we both actually started this. We always got the value. We called it the baby. The baby was the conversation in the lobby. Like one conversation was generally worth the trip. The bathwater for us was going to crappy hotels in the middle of nowhere that we didn't want to go to and people selling us stuff in the back of the room and, you know, transactional kind of salesman people and stuff like that. And we really just enjoyed the genuine conversations. So uh, to answer your question, we didn't really have a vision, to be honest. We both had gotten into a position where we had moved out of our kind of sold and moved to boards of companies we had started. He moved from Texas to Boulder. I moved from Breckenridge to Boulder. And we were hanging out at a bar and someone wanted some consulting work. So we created the LLC Baby Bathwater because we thought it would be funny if someone had to write a check to a funny name. We just kind of did it overnight. And then we had this mechanism. We had set up a company to do like a one-time weekend consulting gig for someone. And then when we got back, like, well, what do you want to do next? The best idea we could come up with was let's throw a party and talk to everybody that we respect and that we consider peers that we've been working with and see what we want to do after that. And it was like a good use of some budget that we had because we both had a little freedom and had a business do well. And so we literally just rented this cool little mining town bar outside of Boulder, rented a school bus and turned it into a bar and picked everyone up at a super fancy hotel and then took them to this like crazy mining town and had a party one night. They're in music and conversations. And that was sort of the start of it. Like there was no giant vision or plan. And then it was always clear to us that we just had to listen really well to what people wanted and answer that way. And we didn't want to be the the Joe Polish or the Gary Vanderchuk or like the kind of folks who are constantly teaching at their own thing. We more just wanted to set up the container and be kind of the set and setting guys. What kind of answer did you get from these people at that point? Uh, what did they want? Well, super mixed feedback. So a few people thought it was too much of a party. Um, and those were our friends who were a little more, they just want to talk business and entrepreneurship and do deals and stuff like that. And then on the reverse side, we had some people who really liked the social side and they just seemed to cruise through the business part of things and they wanted more of it. And so we just kind of listened to both and like, how can we actually please both parties and have lots of socialization? But also, well, the big thing is we added content during the days, but in a way that kind of met our ethical way that we think that content was good because I think we were exposed to a lot of unethical content, which were basically just jonesed up sales pitches at a lot of these conferences. And so we started, you know, doing peer created content where it might be two or three people with similar expertise. And we would do panels and discussions rather than someone's keynote presentation who generally has a motive to sell consulting or a book or something like that. But to be perfectly transparent and honest again, it was just a circumstance where people are like, that was super fun and I like the people that you like. I think the biggest thing that we heard that was resonating is that we had a really good taste in character for folks who weren't having giant egos, even though they were very competent and successful and bringing them together generally in downplaying environments. Like I think, you know, the speaker VIP dinner in Vegas and stuff like that produces a type of an audience and a type of a stigma where ours has always been in really down-to-earth, kind of small-town, outdoor vibe places that just people let their guard down and they can hang out and just have honest conversations. But at the end of the day, it's all about the people. You know, I think everybody has a tool that they use to fix problems in their life or their business. Like mine has always been relationship. 
like setting up a partnership or something rather than I know some people who it's tech or diving deeper into study and things like that. I believe just having someone who can understand where you where you are or where you're going and had that experience is, is really valuable. Even if there's no direct like business transaction, I feel like I could save thousands and thousands of dollars and years of time by just listening to someone's story of how they did something similar more than reading a book or going to a course. That's always been the, the biggest lesson for me. And I like the untransactional nature of that. And what I've noticed when most people have that mentality of just sharing their kind of entrepreneurial war stories and how they did what they've done and, and, and done that, that generally sets the tone where then these beautiful, more authentic partnerships that don't feel forced start to come out. Like there has been many, many business partnerships that have come out of the group just from sitting down at dinner and having a, a real conversation. Beautiful. I had a lot of people who invited their friends and had a great event and our return rate was so high that I didn't really need to do any real active sales and marketing, but we also wanted to look at how do we keep diversity coming. So that's why last year we decided to go to Croatia rather than continue to do our big events here. And I kind of searched the globe like a crazy man looking for a venue that would meet my checklist of things that I needed, which is, you know, an amazing kitchen. We could take over all the accommodation to meet the standards of the people and be able to host content. And like, we generally take over with all our own staff and things like that too, when we do these events. So it's kind of hard. And my biggest goal is to create more diversity in the group. We had a lot of American and Canadian entrepreneurs and maybe only 20% of people traveling from international places. And so we picked uh, Croatia's that seemed easy to get to for most people from anywhere, as well as the venue just hit every check mark for us. And so it was awesome. We had about 50% international and 50% US there. That was a big turning point for us because we met a lot. We actually did a little bit of marketing because we wanted to reach outside of our kind of echo chamber we were in. And all of a sudden when the event was over, we had a lot of people who wanted to be more involved. So I would say the biggest part of the business that Michael and I don't like is selling tickets. It's just we don't like selling stuff to people. Like we'd rather just have it be organic and, and all work out on its own. But it was a necessary part of the business that needed to get the momentum. And so we did that last year. We probably did 2,000 interviews on the phone. It was very time-consuming, but really well worth it because at the end of it, it made us change our plan where now rather than being an events business that was working on a membership, we're pretty much a membership that has one event a year now. You know, the membership is what we've filled up actually way faster than I thought with some amazing people. I feel like we're, you know, the members are way smarter than we are. I'm learning just as much as they are from just being in the group. But the way we're doing that is, you know, the members come to the Croatia event. We also hold two smaller events where they're a little more intimate for the group. Same kind of format of sort of choose your own adventure, free flow, curated content and dinners and music and fun and networking. But we want to continue to tighten it rather than grow it. So I think we we have really no intentions of growing this too much bigger because I know the relationships that I've been building in business have taken years to cultivate into things where I really understand where their skills are, where their networks lie, and, and how we can kind of authentically and ethically use each other in, in ways that are really helpful for one another. And so rather than grow into some giant trade show or conference, our goal is to have sustainable memberships. So now we have an online group that's extremely active. We've got the big event a year, there'll be about half members and half new folks who might be interested in that sort of how it'll keep feeding into the system. 
And yeah, I think we're more excited about value that can be created within the group than just membership fees and ticket sales. Like that's what sustains us and allows us to put the operational effort forward. But what I'm more excited about is, you know, we're talking about adding a fund to the group and working on incubating different projects within the group. So kind of a long answer to that, but really it's, you know, being agile enough to listen to everyone and focusing on quality of relationships, which I think require multiple touch points. And the way we're doing that this year is the online group, two private events for members, as well as the Croatia event, which will have members and some new folks. And we will reassess next year and do something similar, but I'm sure we'll change it a bit based on how it went. And so far in this group of members you have, have you kind of agreed after one of the events that, okay, now let's work together on a certain goal or, or to achieve something together? It sort of already happened on its own. Like I watched a, a really cool wellness company be started by three guys who sat together in Croatia who are all members. And they've been kind of actively having the conversation in front of the group. And now like one guy has a marketing agency in the group and he's tacked onto it. The other one has a distribution company and he's tacked onto it. The other one's helping them with some funding stuff. And so I'd say it's more organic than organized because there's such a wide variety of industries and skills. And that's been our main focus is diversity. I think we can sometimes find ourselves in whatever industry or business we're in being stuck sort of in an echo chamber of everyone does things the same way where I think the biggest learnings come from people who do things in a different way and you can apply it to your industry. And so watching how different people participate and jump in on projects with each other or just support each other has been really cool. You know, there's one company that's just hit it out of the park out of nowhere recently. And so we're all kind of actually thinking about all investing in it together as a group. And that would be the first quote unquote, you know, investment, you know, fund kind of thing within the group. But it's, it's really just depends on the personality and what they want to get out of it. Great. I like this, that you are like driving it, but you're in the background. So this, it's not like it's a total mutual transaction of, of thoughts and ideas and then total openness in that sense. And in that kind of format, things happen. Yeah, that's honestly one big thing was I, I think the amount of time that Lovich and I spent in masterminds and conferences is very clear what works. Like people like genuine authentic communication amongst each other and helping each other out like that really fulfills people it was really more learning the things we saw that didn't work and one of the big ones we saw is when anyone became too much of a star of their own thing and it was sort of a double-edged sword for them that i think it's the same reason people want to be famous or whatever or something it's nice spotlight feels good but it's super temporary but one it's like it's hard to scale that um so you're going to run yourself down you're kind of always having to be on top of your game and have a new edge and do this one. You know, our goal is just get people who are really smart in diverse ways to collaborate together. So we've been very, very front of mind with that because I've just seen too many groups where they start and then, yes, you put the operational effort in place to get this group together. But at the end of the day, it's the people in the group that make it valuable way more than that person running it. I think that's a, a pretty important thing. Great. Congratulations so far, really. It's, it's wonderful to hear you describe this. What would you say is uh, like your um, passion that comes from this Italian and uh, Latin, actually, word called patire, which is, um, you know, stuff that people are so, think is so important to them that they are even willing to suffer for it if it's needed, not just something that is fun. What is that passion for you? It's a great question because mine's sort of 
divided across a few things really you know on, on the entrepreneurial side like i need to be creating and, and doing things it's super clear because if you ask me that question just in a, a less of a this kind of frame around you know the entrepreneur side of it i would be like i love skiing and being outside and philosophical rabbit holing talking about things and figuring out how the world works and realizing it doesn't matter and you know, skiing powder line and doing all those things. I just enjoy that so much. And, you know, I've gone to like Vipassana retreats and just got done taking about 18 members heli skiing in Canada, which is like my favorite thing in the world and turn off our phones and just have conversations and play in the mountains and love suffering in the mountains for a good powder run. But at the same time, like I actually just moved into kind of a dream home that I built on top of Powder Mountain and did all those things and realized that like, I could ski every day and do all those things, but that's not completely fulfilling for me. I really like creating with others um, and still always trying to dial it in. My girlfriend made a really good point that she's like, you're really good at figuring out the three or four words that people need to hear about themselves to kind of do more. Generally, a lot of times I don't think I have the specialty skill, which has been a really beneficial thing that I did sort of on purpose when I started in internet marketing. It's like, don't get too good at any one thing because then you end up doing that as your job. And like, so I know I could have probably learned to code when I was running a software company, but I purposely didn't because I wanted to grow the company and not get stuck in a thing. It happens with Baby Bathwater all the time. Like I know as soon as I make a, a good video, then I'll be the guy making the videos moving forward. So I way more prefer to sit in sort of the strategy seat, but then help work with people to put them in the right place and just support that. I love seeing when two folks can come together, two even businesses can come together and have an exponential explosion from there. So I think it's a mix, you know, to answer the, the passion question is, it's pretty diverse. Actually, there's a great book that Michael Tremont called The Passionate State of Mind by Eric Hofer. Passion's like the most dangerous thing and it's not a good thing. And I love reading it because it's good to read things that go kind of against the grain of some of this entrepreneurial woo that's out there these days. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love being outside. I love being with people and enjoying the business. But I think it's the totality of things and realizing you know, I grew up with massive dyslexia and ADD and was a terrible student. And so I had to kind of learn to lean into just actually multitasking and being scattered as a, a strategy as well. I do think I'm learning way more over the last few years how to stay more focused. When I This is the longest I've worked on a single project and I don't feel burnt out at all and I'm excited to continue it. But I think it's because it involves being very diverse versus, you know, when I was doing book publishing or software or other things like that, it was so myopic that uh, I would lose the, the fire under the bed pretty quickly. Uh, what would you say are like the transformational points in your life that have influenced you the most so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's pretty clear. It's like sort of timeline entrepreneurially. And then there's a lot of other ones and philosophically and just life in general. But, uh, you know, one of the first ones was when I was just struggling to books in school and stuff like that. And my dad gave me a, a lawnmower and a Jay Abraham direct response book. that was like letters from roofing companies. And you could read those and, and do that. And I was able to rewrite that letter for mowing people's grass and mowing their lawn and got an instant result from writing a good letter and having a service. And so I was like, pretty much I remember as like the entrepreneurial sort of bulb going off. And, you know, my parents were like, you're not going to get a car, but every lawn you mow is, you know, another wheel on the car or whatever. And just being able to build something yourself is really cool to have that kind of independence really young. 
that was an amazing milestone. I did a leadership course um, before I went to university that I spent 136 days in the wilderness with like 12 other random people. And we all are like outdoor certifications. I thought my goal was going to be, you know, an outdoor guide. But it turns out you learn the hard skills there, but it was the soft skills of working with people, patience and tolerance and all those things and working under pressure with big decisions. And when someone's a designated leader, how do you do that even if you think that they're wrong? And that was a massively, it was kind of actually think I think the only educational thing I've ever paid for that I felt like really paid off in spades because it just fit my learning style very much. And my dad agreed, came out and said, well, you're different in a good way. So, you know, that was really good. And then, you know, I went into the guiding world, was rafting guide stuff. And then honestly getting hurt and breaking my leg was very pivotal because I Googled how to make money on the internet when I was hurt. And that allowed me to stop wanting to do my passion. There's that word again, for work. And realize I'd rather have enough resources to go do the things like you know, these mountaineering and ski trips and stuff because I wanted to. Like I remember guiding it and getting really like, oh, it didn't it stopped feeling like fun. It felt like work and wanting to not ru- ruin something I love so much by making it a business, which has been pretty much a pattern of mine my whole life. Every time I see that, oh, I can turn that into a business. And so getting hurt was awesome because I got on the computer, which I avoided like the plague and figured it out and actually turns out was pretty good at it and my best friend and roommate at the time that actually broke his same right foot at the same time and we became business partners and figured it out together and it was sort of a fun journey i guess the last pivot and all that was also uh i overzealously and emotionally invested in a, a ski resort which you know i ended up getting a uh, 20-year education very quickly because everyone else who's involved in this project is much older than me and has much more history and experience. And I had to play catch-up really fast. And it ended up being a really big win for me, both from a learning perspective and financially putting me ahead a little further than I had planned because it did work, but it was very high risk. And it just showed me how quickly you can learn when you throw yourself into the deep end. I liked that a lot. Uh, it's funny, my dad's request after all, it was like, I'd like to see you stay as motivated now that you've done this without a fire-breathing dragon chasing you down the mountain. So I always seem to like to create my own pressures and realize it's a pattern that works really well for me and for Michael too. We, we talk about it all the time. Like nothing feels better than just us saying like, screw it, let's do it. We'll figure it out. And I like that pressure sometimes. But how important has it been actually that you were doing that together with Michael, for example, in certain projects and things so far? or and, and how much, because otherwise it might be kind of lonely, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. So two really clear thoughts on that. One is like, I have so much admiration for those who start and run a business all by themselves. And I've noticed that's a big reason a lot of solo entrepreneurs join me. I thought it was like, you just need a sounding board sometimes like to like, before you make a big decision, I actually think about this pretty regularly that I get to hold off and delay a little on quite a few decisions. This might slow things down, but I feel good about it when I wait to talk to him. Like I actually wrote a list on my little to-do list and there's six things that I'm going to talk to Michael about in a 15-minute call before I make a decision on them. You know, I think having that sounding board is really, really crucial. Like I said, in Baby Bathor, that's a lot of people there just to get that confirmation bias uh, that we need you, so you don't feel crazy. And I think that's that's really important. The second one has been like balancing personalities. So we good cop, bad cop constantly. 
we actually get in like one of our productive tools as we go to the bar and get quite inebriated together and yell at each other about all the, the things that bother us about each other. Because we have very different points of view and personalities. And I think that balancing is awesome. I actually ran into a guy on the mountain uh, two days ago who's like, I met your business partner. I don't even know how you guys are business partners. Like, and I'm like, oh man, I trust no one more. And it's been the best thing in the world to have a yin and yang kind of situation like that. So that's been really great. How, but how would you describe uh, when you say you're very different? In what way? The biggest part was a big age difference. And if I was to sum it up a little, it comes like, you know, he came from more of a, like his dad was a law, a law teacher. My parents were therapists. And so his is like, you know, fairness and he can be, I mean, he's a member of the skeptic society and stuff where I, you know, in my free time, I'm going to meditation retreats and stuff like that. So, that, you know, a little more of the openness and optimism and a little more of the skepticism and stuff like that. But there's like this super healthy balance between the two where I find we actually have the exact same moral and ethical views on almost everything but it's the rapper and the approach is a little different it's just he's just a really direct uh i call him a peanut butter m&m because he's very hard on the outside but soft on the inside <laughs> interesting yeah so I mean, it's, a, it's a good balance and i i just i think it's important to have business partners or partners in general and it's actually something we've done because of our diversity and personality and the fact that our team is more like a family than a company in the way it's run and we are always at events and things together. Uh, Holly, about, you know, the world of business and corporations and so on, is there like one, you could say, long-term formula that you think would be valid for all that you really believe in? I feel like the playing field is becoming leveled where it used to be very difficult for people to get into business and be competitive. You know, obviously the internet is sort of the given part that started that. But even when I started internet marketing, it was like pretty easy to get started. And I liked that it. it's gotten harder. Like you actually have to be a good company now and have some social responsibility and reviews are transparent and then all of these things. I've always been pretty resistant to even like trying to vote with my dollars with corporations unless they're doing it well. I really just enjoy small to medium business. My, I remember my father, like I was a big fisherman when I was a kid, wouldn't let me buy my fishing lures at Walmart. I had to go to the mom and pop shop and pay 20 cents more. And, you know, there is a, an explanation of why. And I think corporations can do good. I just, I'm so passionate about supporting those and doing it that when you see ones who take the extra mile and do things that normally big companies would do, like having a give back program and employee incentives and like really figuring out how to operate even though they might be smaller in revenue and size with the same. So I guess my real answer is it's the totality of everything. Like a business has the tools to do everything. I was out skiing with a guy yesterday who just joined our group who actually ran like a mega church for a while. And he realized that he kind of lost faith in some of that stuff because the way that it was run with so many cogs and policies and different things got him away from his goal of really helping people. And so he started a small nonprofit, you know, that's now a large nonprofit because he saw business and his entrepreneurial sort of efforts being a way more effective way to make impact. What about leaders, however you, you know, choose to define those? If you could give some at least one piece of advice to leaders, what would it be? I would not say that we do ours in any particular way or follow anyone. 
And I think that is the leadership style that's working. I know that our team likes flying under the flag and has a lot of pride for the company and working with us because we are pretty transparent. I'll be the first to give a damaging omission if I screw something up. Like our policy has fallen on the sword very quickly. Bad news fastest. People are human beings and they do create errors. And I think the thing that, that bothers me the most with leadership and like with some of the business celebrities and stuff that are happening is everyone's always crushing it perfect and working all the time. I think humans really can get behind the infallibility and the transparency when people are really clear that they're just figuring it out too. There's no one has it figured out. Everyone's day by day figuring out they're always stressed about something. You know, we are all just a bunch of invaluable humans, monkeys walking around here trying to figure this out. And I think people trust in, in that when they see that you're doing that, but you're going to continue and persevere. So they want trust that you're going to not go away and you're going to have that staying power. At the same time, you're not just saying what they want to hear. You're telling them the truth. And who has that truth, right? Yeah, and you only have the truth that you think you know, right? <laughs> it might change once you take your next step. What do you feel that you are like digging into understanding, learning more and so on uh, by yourself right now in this phase of your life? Yeah, I mean, a big part for me has really been what like this whole happiness word is crazy. In the end, I, I have an amazing girlfriend and our two dogs and we moved to this dream ski and ski house and sort of what most people's like dream retirement would be. And really quickly realized that whole stat of once you make over a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of things, like happiness can even drop off. Like it's not that happiness, I just don't think that's the right word or label, but it's like more fulfillment. But I liked actually being in the mix with a little bit more action and, and creating and working and doing stuff. So, you know, always in the phase of figuring out what's the best path for myself. And then also... I have established a lot of relationships through personal and business over the last year. How do you keep those ties? So the word that I've been working on is actually boundaries. You know, the universe expands and contracts, and I think so do we. And I spent a lot of time expanding, and my whole goal always was meet as many smart people and great people as possible because that's just how you learn and expand. And did that for a long time. Now I'm literally like working on the opposite, and then uh, was like quality over quantity. Which I think is why Baby Bathwater has you know, switched his path as Michael's on that same page too. Is like long-term, valuable relationships take a lot of time versus we spent a lot of time just did thousands of interviews for the island last year and went to so many conferences in the last 15 years. We met a bunch of great people, but you can only give everybody so much energy. Which actually there's a guy in our group, Jamie Wheel, runs the Flow Genome Project. He was with me recently and left me with a book, The Power of the Positive No. So I'm actually, I think, channeling a little of my inner Michael, which he always told me. He's like, oh, when you get older, you're going to learn being a little curmudgeon is good. You know, you don't <laughs> want to let everyone into the circle because you can't serve everyone, you know. So just, you know, going from being this absolute open guy who said yes to everything to kind of learning the value of boundaries and no has been a really cool lesson for me because now you, you know, you have priorities uh, with my team and the group that we're running and what we're doing and distractions are real. And so figuring out how to really be dialed in and that has been a big important thing for me lately. And and if you would give uh, advice to yourself like uh, 10, 15 years ago or something, what would that be? It would be exactly what I was just talking about. I think it would be uh, focusing on boundaries 
Because I remember being so focused on always saying yes to meeting people. Like the amount of hotel lobbies that I sat in buying drinks for people and having conversations and going to workshops and events and things. It was like drinking from the fire hose. And I do really love people in a good conversation more than anything. But it would have been to put some blinders on a little bit into like following up and having multiple touch points with people and really getting to learn and betting on the long run rather than so many transactions, I think is a, a big one. And by transaction, I just mean interactions with people. Because now what I really value more is the super dive-ins with folks. Like even a Baby Bathwater overwhelms me because I kind of know everyone who's there. But I try very hard to like sit down with an individual one-on-one. And that's actually what I recommend to people who come is like, don't go to all the content. You know, pick one or two things that are really valuable and go be active in those conversations and the, the content. But spend the rest of the time just having one-on-one or three, four-person conversations where you just sit and be truly in it and see where it goes. And that's usually where the most value is found. What do you think is right now the most important thing for all companies to focus on? Is there like one common denominator? You know, obviously it's dependent on what people are doing. I mentioned the, the biggest thing I've noticed is just this whole direct thing. Like it used to be like a direct-to-consumer business. And in this conversation, I'm mostly talking about people with products, obviously. But like it used to be traditional where you went through a distribution channel to get into stores and you worked with PR companies and media. Just sort of did it the traditional way. And then the next one was to go direct to consumer and own your customer where you could have a more profitable, successful business with a smaller amount of customers because there was less people at the table and it was just a more efficient system. What I've noticed now, I guess is mostly on sales and marketing, is like you kind of need to be omni-channel. You want to be in boutique stores that fit your brand and things like that and maybe some big distributors if it works. But you also want to own your customer and have that direct connection with them. And then, you know, I think this same thing of having to do both there applies internally is you do need to have, if you have a virtual team or an office, you need to develop a culture that is felt through your brand and your customers need to be a part of it. And that's why direct is so much more helpful for that than going through a distributor. So even if I'm finding you in a store I want to be able to go learn about you and get involved with you and have communication with you. Like, And we're removing that corporate veil of the guy in a suit spokesman or it's always behind their logo or their brand. Like, Businesses are people now and you have to relate with them that way and, and make that work. What is the best way to do that? Obviously, I think a lot of this is coming from the fact that I've just talked to so many founders who've made it work and are scaling now. It depends on what you started with. You have to go look at the things that you're not doing. So I think everyone always leans to their their strength. If you were doing really good at building your email list and communicating with your list, then maybe you look at how you're communicating on social or what is your printed materials in your product when someone doesn't even interact with you through your own portal. So I think it's more of taking a, a step back and going, hey, what are we doing really well? And there's a hundred other touch points out there from our team to our packaging to you know, our customer service, like all those pieces, parts of like, how does it get your smell, your touch, your feel? How do you turn it into a personality more than just this stagnant brand? And I've noticed that's what's really working. And and what about social media? I mean, it's so many people, of course, everybody's using it and so on. 
But there is like some kind of an overload as well. As you say, you need to kind of <laughs> detox, but not only here and there, but it feels like on a daily basis, it takes so much. It's such a source of distraction as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides of it, right? It's really a double-edged sword for the people who are listening to this and people in our group and stuff because it's an amazing sales and marketing and communication tool for your company. But at the same time, on a personal side, if you're just following a bunch of other entrepreneurs who are basically just posting the best versions of themselves and stuff, I, I think it's clinically causing depression for a lot of the world and anxiety and overwhelm. I'm pot calling the kettle black. Everyone, like I probably logged in and checked my social a couple of times already today. You know, I think those little micro interactions do cause problems. I don't have a, a solution other than I know that I've felt better than I've ever felt when I turned my phone off for a little while and, and got away from it. And that's actually one thing I learned in Vipassana when I went for the first time. I was in the middle of a business shitstorm, if you will. Like it was crazy. I was overwhelmed, but the world went on without me just fine. I came back, was able to dive right back in. And I think we're so used to instant inter interactions in so many ways that if I was, you know, in the entrepreneurial shoes and had the time to really focus on this specific problem, it'd be like the personal side separated from your business side. Like you can hire people to run your social and do that well from for your business and communicate well. And I think it is pretty much a necessity now, unless you're a brand that's being really cool and not doing that because it, you know, plays somehow into your brand story in some way. But on a personal level, you can, there are tools to curate it. It just takes the time. Like I, I uh, have a guy I like who I follow um, for a long time back in the internet marketing days who he just showed you, you know, how you can remove things from your feed and you can basically self-curate it. What I do like is I kind of keep up with family and friends through there and see what's going on. You know, that's great, but, you know, maybe we, we have to build in, schedule it in some way or something. I don't know. But I think I agree that it's a can be a massive distraction. And I've told Michael and other people on my team, like, I want to quit it more than you could ever imagine. But we literally can't. Like, part of my to-do list is to go catch up on my Facebook messages each day. And especially when I'm traveling internationally, that's where I'm communicating with a lot of people. But to cut out the clutter and the noise, you better be doing something to counteract it. Which I think maybe is why there's the surge of yoga and meditation and psychedelics and all these things right now. Is, you know, people are having to counterbalance the insane amount of input we're we're getting on a daily basis. And what we miss the most, I think, is really to physically be in the same room and interact, which is what you provide via your events and everything. So you need to kind of be physically present and connect truly <laughs> with people in all this digital you know, space that we have around us. You're, you're nailing it. I think without us even having to put that as part of the pitch, if you will, or the creation, I think that's why people have such a good time too. I think they don't feel the need to be on it or in it when we're on this island and in real conversations that are so good. It's awful when you just look around and see everybody on their phone in a room together. You won't see that at an event because they're actually genuinely enjoying their conversations. And, and the last question, what do you think the world needs most at this time? Probably, I imagine, a bundle of everything we just talked about. I do think enterprise, like businesses, are the quickest way to create change. And I think there's just a lot of, obviously, problems that people are looking at. And I think small and medium business is like the best tool that we have you know, to do that. 
And then the same time, people are focused on a lot of problems. This is like also, I think maybe just to take a, a step back for a minute, I was talking about this yesterday with someone when we were out skiing. Just like we are living in the best of times in like the history of the world at the same time. We're just more exposed to those problems, right? Because we are on social media and seeing the, the tweets and the posts and the things. And that's why mass media for all of history has always focused on the negative stuff because it gets our attention more. But like it's also pretty damn good time to be alive. Um, I love looking at the people who've been on your show and I was like, I have interacted with a bunch of these people mostly in really cool interactions and with the right willpower and, you know, just a little bit of vision and willpower and kind of knowing your strengths and stuff like anyone can kind of do anything right now. And it's really cool. I think it's never been a more level playing field at the same time that we're also more aware of a lot of the problems and issues that do need to be focused on. But, you know, I can sit back and have a little appreciation for how great it is that me and you're having this conversation across the world right now. And I'm planning an event on an island for a bunch of entrepreneurs. It's a pretty awesome thing. And there are problems that need to be looked at. And that's good. But, yeah, I think it's just a broad social thing that we're, you know, hopefully the ecosystem will continue to operate in the way that, that it does. And people will rise to the occasion. And some people are just here to, to make us happy. Like, some people just need to laugh, too. I think comedians are just as valuable to the world as the Elon Musks. Definitely. I think you're going to see more and more communities that are global that are gathering on a regular basis because they have similar interests and it's going to become more and more niche where before it was just like, you know, there's only three media outlets. Now there's a million. Uh, I think it's going to be the same with the in-person gatherings. And I think the importance of in-person gatherings is going to continue to take priority as we become more virtual. Yeah, I definitely agree from everything I see. Also, I see this tendency and also this need, actually, which is pretty powerful because if you just put together 100 people in a room, I mean, and, and if they are sharing the same values and then they complement each other in so many ways, they can just, they're just a powerhouse of people, right? Oh, yeah, absolute. In my mind, the visual is always wind in the sails. It's like a bunch of sailboats with no wind or one big sailboat with a lot of wind that's created by the people in it. That's definitely what I see. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing everything. And um, for people who want to find out more, uh, should they head to your website or what do you say? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, the best thing would be just to go to uh, babybathwater.com kind of overview of everything there. The only real thing they have planned that would be a good fit if someone's like super interested in joining the group would be Baby Bathwater Island which will be June 26th through 30th in Croatia. And I'd love some, some more new people to join us there. We're filling up pretty quick with our, you know, kind of existing base and some new people coming in. But, you know, the goal of that is to completely get out of our, our chamber of referrals and industries and our location. And so anyone who's listening who resonates with us would love to, to chat. And we've got a, a little form you can fill out there. And neither me or my business partner, Michael, talk to every single person who applies to that. And, uh, just have a genuine conversation and see if it's a good fit for everybody. That's great. And also, uh, they will find uh, links and show notes on uh, corporateunplugged.com slash podcast. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and also share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Share it with the people you know would benefit from hearing this. Thanks for listening, and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.